All right, good morning, guys. Okay, let's try that again. Good morning, guys. All right, when you respond, we do this all the time, right? I'm going to explain to you. Like, when you respond, like, good morning, Steve. Like, you don't have to be loud. I'm not trying to, but it's like energy to me, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a gift to me. So thank you. Thank you for responding. It helps me engage. My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor. And we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. Grab your Bibles. Let's open to the book of Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. In our Bibles, we're going over to 530, page 530. It's Proverbs 4. We're actually going to be looking at a series of Proverbs, but we're starting at 4. If I say to you this morning that we have a crisis of integrity in this country, um, I don't think anybody probably would be ready to argue with me. Um, I think most of us kind of know this, right? It's just like, yeah, no surprise. Um, we have a crisis of integrity in this country every week. Uh, every week, there's a new story of someone being outed for something they hid, pretending to be something they weren't, claiming a victory they never had, or 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 hiding a, a transgression they said they never committed. Right? Every week, someone's being outed, and and almost every week. What we're seeing is, is um, reputations crumble in a minute. Things that people have invested their entire lives into building, the legacy is lost in a moment um, when what is hidden comes to light. Just over the past couple of months, um, there are more examples than I can count. There are a few I want to just mention this morning. Bill Hybels. You may not know that name, but Bill Hybels is very well known in the Christian subculture. He was a pastor of a church in Chicago called Willow Creek, um, and he was uh, really one of the forerunners of what became the megachurch movement. He um, was um, a very influential leader. In fact, they had yearly leadership summits. He became one of the, the pillars of, of, of that Christian leadership movement that, that Christian leaders should be leaders, right? That whole thing that, that it's not just about knowing the Bible, it's about actually being a good leader. And, and there were a lot of incredible things came out of that. He was forced to resign six months before uh, the day he was supposed to because there were nagging and persistent allegations of sexual misconduct. Um, the leadership team rallied around him as often as the case in these situations where you have a hero that is suddenly being um, what they perceive as attacked. And so they rallied around him. We know this guy. He's a great guy. His reputation is, is unprecedented. He's, and, and so you end up rallying around him and minimizing the voices of others. The problem was the accusations continue to be persistent and new accusations came to the table. Um, and it came to light that the evidence was just overwhelming. And just recently, over the last two weeks, the entire board of Willow Creek had to step down, including the new lead pastor. The entire leadership team wiped out in a moment um, because of the way they handled that situation. Another name may not be as familiar to you, Avital Rennell. Um, she, she, um, she's a feminist, um, a literature teacher, a very prominent um, uh, uh, academic. She is, she is quote unquote, one of the few rock stars in the philosophy world. Um, she is very well known. Uh, she's been suspended from NYU over this next year because of substantiated allegations of physical and verbal sexual assault of one of her male students. 
the great irony and of course the, the twisted logic of somebody who is one of the um, original supporters of the Me Too movement then being taken down by somebody who has a Me Too story about her. Um, and of course, I cannot help but mention um, the debacle that's unfolding in Philadelphia with the Catholic Church. It has been revealed that over the past 70 years, um, the Catholic Church has worked to protect and hide uh, around 300 pedophile priests. Um, there were over 1,000 victims over the course of that time as they simply uh, silenced the voices of those that were wounded and shuffled those who were doing the wounding. You know, in each one of these cases, there is this knee-jerk reaction. This thing's too big to fail. This person's too important to be taken down. This, this, the ends are too good, which means we need to ignore the means. We need to ignore what things took place in the way. Um, and so I want to talk about that this morning. Before I do, I do want to pause, because I know even in using an introduction like this, I have brought pain to some of you. Because there are people in this room who were betrayed by people they should have been able to trust. There were people in your lives that God gave power, whether it's a parent or a pastor or a priest. Or, and power, power is given to us as a gift of God to leverage for the flourishing of human life. When someone is given power and influence, they are to use that power and influence to increase the flourishing of life for the people that, that they are given influence and, and, and a measure of power with. When people use that power and they betray that trust, they use it in a way that, that is self-focused, self, um, selfish, when they lack integrity. People get hurt. And those wounds hurt, man. Those are deep deep wounds. Um, it may have been decades and decades ago when, when that violation of trust took place, and that wound still hurts. There are some wounds that, while they may heal, never stop hurting. Um, and so if you've suffered abuse, I want to pause and simply acknowledge your pain. I want to honor it. And I want to say very clearly that it was evil not yours, theirs. It is evil when someone uses their power, whether it is personal or physical or positional or political, when they use their power to hurt instead of bring life, it is, it is evil. And those that do this, even if they're acting in the name of God, do not represent the God they name. Their actions do not reflect God's character. Their actions are demonic. And that's not too strong of a word. So I want to say to you, there's grace for you. As deep as your wound is, God's grace goes deeper. And you need to know you need God's grace. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time only heals clean wounds. And the only way these wounds can be cleaned is by the grace of God. God's grace will reach your deepest pain and cleanse out the bitterness and, and, and the 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 resentment and, and the lingering, it'll still hurt, but it won't fester. 
God can meet you in your pain and bring you on a path of healing. God, God's grace is sufficient for you. So if you were abused, I invite you to grace. If you were an abuser, there's grace for you too. But you need to understand that grace only flows in the context of truth. You cannot claim the grace of God if you are unwilling to step into the light of the truth. If you hide your abuse, if you refuse to, to make amends to those that you have hurt. You are not embracing grace. Grace flows in the context of truth as you come to light and true repentance. And the reality is, it is very seldom a clean division between abuser and abused because often it is those who have been abused who become abusers. It is those who hurt who then turn around and hurt because hurt people hurt people. And you need grace both to heal the pain of the wounds you've received and also to heal you and to, and to work out in grace for the wounds, you, wounds you've inflicted. But the beauty of God's grace is that it can do both. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And the truth sets us free because it creates a context for the flowing of grace. So I want to take a minute. I want to pray for Philadelphia. I want to pray. It's broken my heart this week. I mean, this is one of those things. Um, you read people talking about how they cannot hear the name of God without it suddenly creating deep feelings of shame and fear because the people who represented God violated that trust in such a way that it has created an unsafe place for them even to approach God. So let's pray. Let's pray for them and let's pray for us. Father, we, we want to pause. The woundedness and the brokenness of this world is absolutely overwhelming. The inhumanity of man to man as we use people instead of love people, as we become focused on ourselves. I am so thankful that you have not walked away from us and left us in this mess. You entered this mess that you might redeem us from it. I pray for those that are suffering in Philadelphia. I pray for those that are suffering at the hands of these other abusers we've mentioned, that, Lord, you will meet them in their pain, that you will call them back to grace, that what has been done to them will not define them, that their view of you will not be, will not be hindered. They will not define themselves by the pain they've received. They will define themselves by the love you offer. Will you meet them in their pain in profound ways that only you can because you've actually suffered the pain? You're not a God who stands above and disconnected from our suffering. You're a God who has entered into it, and you have suffered, and you know betrayal and hurt and death. Will you meet them in the comfort of grace? And Lord, will you call us to repentance, all of us, those who have things that are hidden, will you give them the courage to step out of hiding, to step into the power of grace? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we have a crisis of integrity. And that was a hard place to start. But here's the thing I want you to see. We often think of integrity as something that, that is valuable, but not that valuable. Right? But, but the reality is, 
when people lack integrity, other people are hurt. When we violate integrity, it creates shockwaves of pain because integrity is the foundation of flourishing. And so this morning, uh, we want to take a look at Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about integrity. We're going to be looking at some ancient wisdom, I think, that is going to speak powerfully into our modern crisis. So let's take a look at Proverbs 4. We're going to start with verses uh, 25 and 27. Um, So let's start there. I will read aloud. You can go ahead and follow along. Solomon, speaking to his son, says, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path at your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Flip over to chapter 10. A couple pages over. Chapter 10, single verse there, verse 9. Chapter 10, verse 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. And then chapter 11, verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so, so one thing is really clear. Um, the crooked path is bad. The straight path is good. All right? The crooked path is bad. The straight path is good. So, so Solomon, speaking to his son, is like, man, keep your eyes on the path right in front of you. Stay focused. Walk the straight path. Because as you're walking, there are going to be temptations to go to the left or go to the right. There, there are going to be temptations where you're like, oh, it's no big deal if I just meander over here or, or if I go over here. If I just do this, or I just say this, or I, I make this little compromise, or I do this little thing, and Solomon's dad is like, or Solomon to his son is like, son, man, turn your foot from evil. Keep your eyes set. Don't even look to the left and the right. Don't even look. You need to walk the straight path. He says there are two experiences that are going to come from this journey. Right? There's a path that leads to true security. And there's a path that leads to the illusion of security. And you're going to be on one of those two paths. The straight path is the path of security. Your foot will be made sure. The path that lacks integrity is only the illusion of security. Well, well, I took a step to the left. I didn't get struck by lightning. I, I just meandered over to the right for a little while. I got back. Nobody knows. No big deal. What he's saying is this. Every single step you take sets the trajectory of your life. And when you step off the path, you just change the trajectory from security to the illusion of security. And if you're like, ah, oh, man, it was just a brief trip, I'm back. You're not back. Because integrity is always established in truth. The trajectory, you have the illusion of security. You do not have security. One path will give you a firm foundation and a safe passage. The other will catastrophically fail when you least expect it. Everything will fall apart. And I could point to not just the stories I've mentioned, but countless others, that the catastrophic failure, when it happens, destroys 
a lot more than we ever anticipated. The illusion of security will always betray us because it's just an illusion. He's saying you will be found out. Those things you have hidden, you will be found out. They will be exposed. The weakness will be uh, exposed. Your shame will be exposed. Your reputation will be lost. So the key difference in these two paths, the path of, of security and the path that is the illusion of security, the key difference is integrity, genuine integrity. Now, when we think of integrity, we often think of truthfulness, right? When we think of integrity, we often think of Boy Scouts and kind of the oath that they take. And, you know, it's one of those things. We know it's a value we're all supposed to have, right? But as we grow up, those, those Boy Scout values, as valuable as they were, they, man, they don't work in real life. Man, when you get into business, you got to be ruthless. When you get into relationships, man, you got to be smart. You got you to gotta fight for what's yours. You got to be, you got to be, you got to be as wise as a serpent. We just forget the innocent as the dove part, right? You, you got to be willing to, 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 you know, take advantage of opportunities when they arise. It's all about honesty, and honesty is really, in the real world, a little naive. So here's the thing. Integrity is about honesty, but it's about a lot more than honesty, right? When you think about it, why, why, is, why is honesty so critical to integrity? Because when we're not honest, there is a gap between what we say and what we mean. And in between that gap is a crooked line, right? When, when we speak something to deceive, there is a gap between what we are saying, what, we are, what the image we're portraying, the face we're putting out, and, and what we really mean, who we really are, what I actually believe, and how I actually act. Integrity comes when my hidden person is aligned with my outward presentation. Integrity comes when my inner motives are matched with the words I speak. Integrity comes when there is a straight line between who I am in my heart, in my mind, in my motives, and who you see me to be, who I present myself as. There is a straight line that is honest in my speech, in my actions, in my bank account, in my relationships. So integrity is about honesty, but integrity is about a lot more than honesty. Right? When you think about integrity, it's way more than just being honest. We're talking about a wholeness to your life. We're talking about a, a consistency between what people see and what people don't. We're talking about a unity in your character, your behavior, your words, and your motives. Integrity. My private self and my public self are unified and integrity, Solomon tells us, is the foundation of our security. It is the bedrock on which we are to build our lives. So think about how we use the word integrity. Integrity is often used in terms of, of honesty, right? But it's used in other contexts too, right? We talk about the integrity of a ship, the hull of a ship. Why do we talk about the integrity of the hull of a ship? What we're saying is, is the outward appearance of strength needs to be matched by an inward structure of strength, right? So that when you get into the waves, that thing can actually endure the storm. Right? Can you imagine if you got into a boat that had the external hull and appearance of strength with no internal structure? Right? You're going down. There has to be an integrity to the hull of a ship. Right? When we talk about um, a bridge, there has to be an integrity to the structure. The hidden structure needs to match the external appearance of strength. If it doesn't, you have catastrophic failures. 
which there have been plenty of those recently in the news, right? Jesus talks about this in terms of a house, right? In Matthew 7, I'm going to read this to you. This is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. I'm not going to put it on the screen. You can just listen. But Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and they beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus was teaching his disciples about the necessity of integrity. That what is hidden has to match what is seen. It's not good enough to simply have the appearance of integrity. There must, in fact, be a unified strength running between what is seen and what isn't. What's hidden needs to be perfectly aligned with what is seen. Otherwise, when the storm comes, the hidden inconsistencies will be exposed. And when they're exposed, people get hurt. You're going to get hurt. Everybody who depends on you is going to get hurt. Everybody who put trust in you is going to get hurt. This is why it's so absolutely critical for leaders, especially Christian leaders, but all leaders, to recognize that integrity is more important than competence. It's more important that you have integrity than that you're good at your job. It's more important that you have integrity than than you have a skill set that is better than your competitors. It is more important that you have integrity Because when your integrity, your lack of integrity is exposed, it's not just you that gets hurt. As a leader, it's everybody who came alongside you to build with you. They will be hurt as well. Those who trusted you. With catastrophic and tragic results. All right, so there's something I need to address in connection with this that seems to be somewhat of a modern phenomenon. I really don't believe it is. I think it's actually been... There's nothing new under the sun. Um, But there is something kind of unique to our culture. Um, While we have a crisis of integrity, we love integrity. We have a crisis of integrity, but our culture actually loves integrity. We just don't call it integrity. We call it being real. We hate people that are fake. We hate people that that are duplicitous. We hate people that are, you know, that are just manipulative. Right? We like people to be real. And I had, a, I had a whole illustration worked out about the 2016 elections, and I ended up scrapping it because um, y'all are a little bit too sensitive, or at least some of you are still a little too sensitive about some of this. And, uh, and I don't want to get in too big of trouble. But, but I will say this. I think that the candidates, both on the right and the left, who seemed to be the most authentic to their followers were the ones who gained the greatest following. People that didn't, that, 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 man, that guy's really, he smokes what he sells, right? He, he really believes this stuff. He's in with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are the people, you may not agree with them, but those are the people that, man, he means what he says. He, he's consistent in his actions. He is consistent in his words. He, he, is, he, is, he is what he is. And you know what you're going to get with him, Right? The, the candidates that did poorly in the 2016 election, and I mean really poorly, were the ones that were seen as pol- politicians. 
the ones that we're seeing is just political. They will become whatever they need to become in order to get whatever they want to get. Our culture loves real. That's, that's, we love integrity, right? And, and so that actually plays its way out in, 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 in culture. We have this sense that we need to have a sense of integrity. It's just the way we define it. The way we define it is, is for me to have integrity means for me to be true to myself. There has to be an inner alignment between what I feel and what I do, what I want and how I express my life. I got to be true to, to me, right? As, as uh, Shakespeare, the modern prophet, uh, said, to thine own self be true. And it must follow as night follows day. Thou canst not be false then to any man. All right, it was true in Shakespeare's time. It's true now. This idea that if I'm, I just got to be true to me, right? I got to be true to my convictions. I got to be true how I feel. And, and that's the path to security. The path to security is about personal integrity. My personal convictions, my personal desires, my personal hopes, as long as I am living out of a sense of unity with my personal integrity, I will be secure. And you need to understand that that is not true. That is not real integrity. There is an integrity there. Like somebody who lives out of uh, a sense of, of, of trueness to their own convictions is going to have a great, greater sense of security. It doesn't mean they actually are. Let me give you an example. If you have somebody who's a narcissist, they believe whatever is good for me is good for you. A narcissist sees the entire world through the lens of themselves. So it's good for me, it's good for you. You don't know it yet, but it is. So that justifies all the lying that justifies all the deception, that justifies all the manipulation, it even justifies hurting people in order to get to a means to an end, because ultimately, if it's good for me, it's going to be good for you, and you just need to understand that eventually. So they are working in, in complete integrity with their internal conviction. The entire world revolves around me, and I'm the most important person, and whatever's good for me is good for you. But that integrity is not genuine security. It gives them the sense of security, but it is an illusion of security. Personal integrity is not the path to genuine security. What is? Truth. It is only when our integrity is actually built on truth. It's not good enough that the building itself aligns. It matters what the foundation of the building is. Right? If I'm building, a found, if I'm building this life that's completely aligned... I have integrity between my inner person and my outward behavior, but it's all built on the sand. It's an illusion of strength, right? Jesus made that really clear when he started out. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the guy who built his house on the rock. It isn't about just being true to yourself. It is about being true to him. It is not just building a life that, in which there is an integrity between who you perceive yourself to be and then how you act. It is about building a life that's actually founded on truths that give stability. Proverbs 11.3, that last verse we read, says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So here's the thing. Integrity is ultimately what defines my walk, but it also defines my next step on the walk, right? He, he says that, that everyone, uh, that, that integrity to the upright 
guides them. I, I meet with a lot of people who will say to me, Steve, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know what the next decision should be? How do I know? And I'm like, I know exactly because I've got a direct line to God. I never say that because um, I don't, right? And, and here's, here's the messy good news, you guys. You might have a dozen decisions in front of you and 11 of them may be good, right? Which one's God's will? I don't know. I'll make it and find out. But how do you know if it's right? If it's a step made in integrity, it's the right step. If it's a step made in integrity, why are you making the step is more important than the step you make. My integrity guides me. It shines a light and helps me discern the next step. So, so I hope you understand at this point, it's really, really important that we understand what integrity is. Because it not only defines a secure life, it actually shows us the path into that security. So how do we know what's, what, what, um, what integrity is? Well, integrity, and this is kind of the complexity we started with, integrity is more than, simply, more than a single attribute, right? Honesty is an integral, but, but it's more than just honesty. Um, it is made up of uh, a number of... Um, uh, a combination of related attributes. And so, um, with our time remaining, I just want to kind of highlight some of those from the book of Proverbs, okay? Uh, what are the attributes that come together to make up integrity? When we talk about integrity, what are we talking about? Well, the first and most foundational attribute is humility. A lot of times, people don't necessarily think about humility as being related to integrity, but it absolutely is. It is the first and most foundational um, attribute of um, integrity. Um, if you don't have humility, you don't have integrity because you're not founding your life on the rock of his revealed truth, right? Proverbs 15, 33 uh, says, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. We talked about when I introduced this sermon series into Proverbs, we talked about how um, the entire book of Proverbs is a call to the fear of the Lord right? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And that means if you don't begin with the fear of the Lord, you haven't taken your first step toward wisdom, right? What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord, very simply, is humility manifest in a loving relationship with God. It recognizes that God is the creator and I'm the created, that, that he's the one who knows how things ought to be and I'm really the one who doesn't, right? The fear of the Lord acknowledges I'm not God, even though I have that lie in my heart that says I can be like God, right? The one that, that makes me want to compete with God, to be my own God, to get the most out of life without God. No, the fear of the Lord acknowledges that He is God and I am not. And that implies that He, while He, since He created the good gifts of life, knows better how to enjoy those good gifts. This is not easy because a lot of times what ends up happening is we look at our lives and we're walking the straight path and, and it looks a lot more fun to the left. Or it looks a lot more productive to the right. Or it looks a lot more enriching to the left. Right? We look at the good gifts that God gives us and it's like, hey, I'm not sure you really know how I'm going to get the most out of this. I think I might know better than you, God. Right? I, I, think, I think, and we never put it this way. This is too blunt. We're way more deceptive with ourselves. We're not more deceptive with God because we can't deceive God, but we're way more deceptive with ourselves. You know, it's, it's, it's oh, I'm just... I just need a break. I'm just overwhelmed. I just need, I just need an escape. I just, I just, oh man, this, the, the government takes too much money anyway. They're just, taxes are robbery, right? Is it wrong to beat up a robber? 
to deceive a rival. No, it is not, right? We find all of these ways to justify how, how we can get more out of life than we think God's going to allow us to have. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of integrity because it acknowledges that God is God and I'm not. And that if my desire conflicts with His revealed will, it is my desire that is misaligned, not His will. That the path to genuine security does not lie outside of His revealed will as if I knew better than God. The fear of the Lord grants me humility. Now, humility is one of these things that, that is really, really hard to measure and, and hard to pursue, right? A lot of people are like, well, you can't even pursue it because as soon as you know you have humility, it's already gone because you just took pride in your humility, right? Hey, I'm getting a little humble. Not anymore, right? No growth there. Yeah. All right, so here's what you need to know. You can grow in humility. You can. Now, it's going to be messy growth, but you can grow in humility by, by making willful choices that acknowledge that God is higher than you, right? To, to acknowledge that while I'm in the middle of temptation, while I'm really struggling, like, man, the left looks really good right now. Solomon, I made the mistake. I looked, <laughs> and I want it. To acknowledge in that moment, God, your way is better than my way, that even though that right now looks like life to me, I know it's not. So I will choose integrity. I will choose to walk in submission to you instead of submission to my desires, right? That's a choice. It acknowledges that God is God and I am not. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, and toward the humble, he gives favor. Um, when, when we are humble toward God, we will become humble toward people. Humility is pervasive. You cannot foster genuine humility with God and not become humble before people. And in fact, you want to know how humble you are before God? Take a look at how humble you are before people. That's going to be your measuring stick. Because you're really going to deceive yourself. Oh, I'm really humble with God, but I despise this person. To the scorners, he is scornful. Scorning means that you disagree with somebody and you despise them because of the disagreement. Scorners and scoffers are, are, are go hand in hand right? The scorners look down on someone because you think they're stupid, ignorant. They're in some, you know, whatever that class of idiot is that you like to scorn, right? We all have a class of idiot, right? They might be, they might have a political difference from you. They might have a social difference from you. They may be a different ethnicity than you. There are a lot of reasons we can look down on people. None of them are legitimate, but that's pride, when we, when we feel superior to this group of people because, because of our disagreement with them, and we scorn them, we scoff them, God scorns the scorner. You know why? Because when you scorn somebody, you're actually making yourself the enemy of God's grace. God's grace doesn't scorn, it invites. God's grace doesn't set itself up as superior. It meets people where they are and invites them into the transformative experience of love. And when we set ourselves up as superior to others, when we feel the right to scorn and to scoff others, we are actually making ourselves the enemy of grace. God scorns the scorners because we are actually trying to undermine his work. In our ignorant pride, we think we can do better than God this person needs to be condemned. This person needs to be mocked. This person needs to be opposed. God scorns the scorner. The key to becoming humble with people is to become humble before God. 
if we're struggling with humility with people we disagree with, because here's the thing, we can disagree. I can strongly disagree with you without despising you. I can adamantly disagree with you without condemning you or feeling superior to you. But I can only do that if I recognize that I am a creature redeemed by grace that I needed grace. I deserved scorn. I deserved scoffing, but God gave me grace because Jesus died in my place and rose again and reaches out to me, not as I should be, but where I am to lift me out of it. I can extend the same grace to others that I'm looking at going, you're not where you should be, but that doesn't make me better than you. Humility is the foundation of integrity. If we don't have humility, we will build the wrong house. If we are not fighting for humility in our lives, we will build structures that only have the appearance of strength. Secondly, flowing out of that is authenticity. If we have humility, it will free us into authenticity. What do I mean by authenticity? Well, I mean it's real, <laughs> right? Authenticity is, is, is the difference between real fruit and fake fruit, right? They may look the same, but they're very different to bite into right? It means the inward stuff matches the outward appearance, right? It is, it is real. It is genuine. It is authentic. It is, it is the same all the way through, right? Proverbs 11.1 1 says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And you're like, Steve, I have no idea what this means. Why does this connect with authenticity? Why are weigh, people weighing things? All right, so in, in the ancient world, um, you would go to the marketplace with the stuff you wanted to sell, and, and then you would bring it to um, uh, the market dude, and, and he had a set of scales there. He would weigh it, and that's how he determined how much it was worth, right? And so they would put these standardized weights on one side of the scale and put your stuff on the other, and that's, you know, when it leveled out, that's how you knew what you had, and that's how much it was worth. And I know this is incredibly shocking, but in the ancient world sometimes, people would make weights that looked like they were heavier than they were. They, they, were, they were hollow right? I know. Crazy. Business people might cheat for more profit. Who would, have, who would have ever thought of such a thing? Good thing modern people don't do that, right? It's the stupid ancients that, that were so deceptive to make a profit, but they did it. Now, here's the thing. I, I'm not trying to make an economic point. There is an economic point that flows out of it that is connected to integrity, but that's not the point I'm making. It's this. God is saying he hates the false, the false weight. Just weights are his delight. That means the person who uses the false weights is just like the false weight. They appear to have more weight than they do. They're hollow. Their lack of integrity has created a disparity between who they are and who they appear to be. There is a crooked line between who they are and who they represent themselves to be. God hates a false weight, right? Lack of integrity. It's not authentic. It's not real right? But, but God delights, right, in the just weight. Yeah, but what if I'm not that weighty? What if when I'm real, I'm not that impressive? What if when I'm real, I'm broken? God loves a just weight. He's not impressed by your pretending, and He's not indebted by your performing. He loves a just weight because it's in honesty we can receive grace. God isn't waiting for us to fix ourselves. He's waiting for us to get honest about ourselves. When we're honest, we can receive grace, and it's in receiving grace that we're changed. God loves a just weight.
Authenticity is absolutely essential to integrity. We have to fight for it. And sometimes it's really hard because we want people to think more highly of ourselves than we are. We, we want people to think really good thoughts of us. We want them to be impressed with us, to think we're, we're, we're respectable or weighty or powerful or really intelligent or smart or creative when deep down inside we're no, we know we're not really all that. It is humility before God that frees us to be authentic before people. Because if God is for me, it gives me the courage to be real with people, even when they might be against me. When God loves me, I can endure when somebody doesn't love me as much as I think they should. When, when, when God says you're significant because you're covered in Christ, it gives me the courage not to be that significant. Authenticity. Honesty. Honesty. Um, when we are humble and growing in our authenticity, it allows us to be honest. Honesty has obviously much to do with what we say, but it has way more, right? We're not just talking about telling the truth, we're talking about being truthful, and there's a distinction. Telling the truth means I'm gonna say true words. Being truthful means there's a unity in, in my entire expression of who I am. I'm not putting on a front, there's no facade, there's a truthfulness, right? I'm communicating who I am and what I mean, right? Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Notice the contrast. Lying lips talk about the words we speak. Those who act faithfully talk about how we live. He's talking about more than just the words we speak. He's talking about the way we live our lives. There needs to be a truthfulness that flows from who we are to what we say, from, from our true motivations to how we relate. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. That's strong language. Right? It's the appearance the, the, of, of security. It's not real. True security comes from being honest. And, and that's really, really scary. Because being honest means sometimes we need to share things we don't want to share and say things we don't want to see and confess things we don't want to confess. Right? Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Grace flows in the context of truth, and if we are too afraid to move toward truth, we will not receive the power of transforming grace. Whoever conceals this transgression will not prosper. There's a hidden crack in the foundation, and it will collapse. Yeah, but Steve, nobody knows it's there. Nobody has seen it. I'm the only one. I hid it well enough. It's completely buried. It's seven layers down. It doesn't matter. The crack in the foundation will lead to a catastrophic collapse. The only way to shore up the foundation. Now, here's the thing. You can't go back. And here's the thing. This is all of us, right? Nobody's lived a life with perfect integrity unless you're Jesus. And if you are, you're not. Okay? Right? Which means we need grace. That's the beauty of grace. It allows us to move back into a life of integrity when we haven't. We all haven't, which means we all need to learn how to confess. We all need to learn how to reveal those things that were said with false motivations, those actions that were made selfishly, those things that we did that actually betrayed trust, the way we hurt people without them even knowing they've been hurt yet. Because we've kept it so well hidden. When we hide those things, 
we have the illusion of security, right? The reason we hide it is we think we're going to be unsafe if we reveal it. The reason we hide it is if we think, if I bring this to the, to the light, I'm going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt. I'm going to be rejected. Things are going to fall apart. Everything's going to be, and there's an enemy whispering in, in your ear the entire time saying, keep it hidden, keep it hidden, keep it hidden, because as long as you keep it hidden, you are entrapped in his shame, and you're building a structure that will fail, and your enemy will delight in the failure. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Grace flows in the context of truth. It is only when we've been humbled by the grace of God and by the, the love of God that allows us to move into authenticity and honesty that allows us to actually then confess the things that need to be confessed. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to be some of the hardest work you do. There have been times, and I can think of at least three. Now, I've been a believer for a little while, since I was 17. But there are three very specific times right now I can think of where I needed to confess something. And it literally was one of the deepest and most painful struggles in my life. Like it was like I was walking into hurricane force winds. I have no doubt there was spiritual attack involved in it. I have no doubt that, that it was the alignment of my own selfish uh, flesh aligned with the enemy who was ultimately trying to entrap me. But for me to go and actually confess, to speak the truth to the one I had to speak it to, felt like an overwhelming weight that would destroy me. And I can't say that I, I responded perfectly each time. There were times that, that I faced that resistance and I buckled. I was like, mm -hmm. not today. Maybe not ever. I'll bury it deeper. But God has a really big shovel. Um, for real. He's not going to let you hide it. And the conviction comes, and the conviction comes, and the conviction comes. And every single time I broke through and I actually moved to that place of conviction, of confession, it unleashed the outpouring of grace, of healing from me, of genuine sorrow for the woundedness that I had brought, but also healing for the one that I had hurt. Grace flows in the context of truth. The final one I want to talk about is, well, there's two. Fidelity. When we are honest, it allows us to be trustworthy. Fidelity is a great word that we don't use enough in our culture. Um, but fidelity means loyal trustworthiness. When you have fidelity, people can put weight on you and they know you're not going to betray them. You're a person of your word. When you say something, you mean it. When you give your commitment, people can count on it. Fidelity is relational soundness. It is relational integrity, right? Fidelity. Proverbs 20, 17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. So when we don't have fidelity, we think the means justify the end. We don't have fidelity. We may give our word and then betray it because we think this looks like a shorter path. Bread earned by deceit. I can get this great thing by simply betraying this one trust. And when you get it, it might be sweet. When you get it, you might think sweet. Nobody got hurt, but it will turn to gravel in your mouth. Proverbs 28, 6, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Fidelity. What tempts you to break fidelity? What, what pulls you away? Few things can pull us away more than money, let's be honest. 
the temptation of a quick buck or of saving a buck. You know, oh, it's just cheating on my taxes. Oh, they just didn't charge me enough at the store. I, I, you know, I could just walk away. It was their mistake. Oh, I just found this money on the floor. I, I don't have to turn it into the manager. I could use an extra $100. So what's your price? What's your temptation? I heard a joke one time where a guy was on a plane sitting next to a guy, and he's like, hey, I'm, your, 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 I'm the competitor to your business. Will you tell this lie to your boss for a million dollars? I'll give you a million dollars if you just go home and tell this lie to your boss. And the guy's like, yeah, I think I could do that. All right, sweet. While you're at it, I want you to lie to your wife about this. I'll give you 10 bucks. And the guy's like, what kind of man do you think I am? And he's like, we've already established that. We're just working on the price. What's your price? Right? What's your price? Because integrity isn't for sale. Fidelity means I will, I, will, I will guard the trust you have placed in me. Even when I am offered something that looks incredibly good, but it requires me to betray my word. Fidelity grows from humility and authenticity and honesty, and it is the foundation of thriving relationships. If you don't have the integrity of fidelity in your relationships, you will not know deep love. You may get great riches, but you will rob your life of the greatest riches. Love, joy, knowing and being known, struggling and finding forgiveness, grace. Which leads us to the final one, love. We can't have integrity without love. Love is the foundation of God's relationship with us. We have violated his law. We have rebelled against him and committed cosmic treason. We are guilty of sins. We totally don't understand the weight uh, of our guilt. Um, but God moves toward us in love and in grace, right? He sent Jesus to die for us and rise again so that we might be invited not to judgment but into forgiveness, that we might be redeemed and restored, that we might receive grace instead of justice. And God moves toward us in love to transform us in love. And listen to me, there is no strength outside of love, which means we need to learn to love others even as we have been loved. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Um, we talked in earlier about people that are hurt when you've been victimized. Forgiveness, man, it's costly. It is so easy to nurse your wound. It is so easy to, to nurse resentment because it feels like you deserve it, right? Man, this person defrauded me. This person hurt me. I have a right to, to, to hold this resentment toward them, to, to harbor this hatred toward them. Integrity. When we have been loved, we learn to love. We have to love, right? Jesus said, love not just your friends, but love your enemies, you're like, see, that's an overwhelming burden. I can't love the person that abused me. Okay, there's a difference between forgiving and forgetting. Forgiving means you refuse to sit in the judgment seat. You refuse to be God. What you're doing when, when, you, when you harbor that little place in your heart, that sacred place of resentment, what you're doing is, is in this little place, I have suffered a loss, and, and I'm going to sit on the throne of ju judgment in my own imagination, and I will, I will punish them. I will abuse them. I will hurt them. 
I will sit in the seat of God and judge them. Forgiveness is refusing to sit in the seat of God. Forgiveness is letting God be God. Forgiveness is recognizing that it is God that will hold them accountable, not you. And that God loves you enough that he will not ignore what you have suffered. He will meet you in your pain and he will bring justice, either by punishing Christ for that sin or punishing them if they won't turn to truth to receive grace. But either way, you can't be God, which means you need to release God to be God and you need to release your offender from the circle of your hatred. It doesn't mean that you continue to give them influence to abuse you. It doesn't mean that you, that, you, that you just forget what happened. Deep wounds continue to hurt, which means every time it hurts, you're going to have to forgive again, which means you're going to have to fight for love. You're going to have to fight to be loved by God to love those who have hurt you. But integrity requires us to be loved in order to love. Love covers all offenses. It doesn't erase them doesn't pretend like they didn't happen. It trusts God to be God because he's the only one that can bring justice. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. When we're talking about love, we're talking about interpersonal relationships, but we're talking about a lot more than that. It means that I love people, even the people I haven't met, right? Because it's really, really easy to take advantage of the poor for my benefit. It's really, really easy to take advantage of people who have no political voice so that I can somehow be benefited either financially or personally. I don't even have to meet those people. I don't even have to actually go witness their suffering. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. There are basic, what we in America call inalienable human rights that are acknowledgement that those people have those rights because they were created in the image of God, and even though I have the power and the privilege of taking advantage of their weakness for my benefit, love compels me. Love compels me to see people as people and not to benefit from the suffering of others. Social justice. Some people love it, some people hate it, but the reality is all we're doing is talking about loving people. Loving people. Sometimes people we've never met, but people we can work on behalf of. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man doesn't understand such knowledge. Doesn't even make sense to them. Why would I care about people I've never met? They need to take care of their own problems. Love. Love's what makes sense. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. These are the attributes of integrity. It's not an, this is not an all-inclusive list. Um, but I will say this, that, that as we make decisions and move forward, every step will either take us toward security or toward uh, the image of security. And we want to walk in a way that actually brings us into genuine strength because one path makes you strong, the other one only gives you the illusion of strength. And we live our lives always afraid of attacks from out there, but here's what I'm going to tell you. The storms are going to come, the attacks, the rainstorms and the, and the hurricanes and the things you don't, you're going to be attacked the thing that's going to make all the difference is not whether the storm attacks you from outside, but whether you betray yourself from inside. It's the inward betrayal you should fear, not the outward storm. Because a life that is built in integrity, a life that is built on the grace of God, working out the love of God, a life that is built on the rock of the gospel will withstand the storm. It's the inward betrayal that causes the tragic and catastrophic fail. He who walks the crooked path will be found out. His strength will fail and he will be exposed and the illusion of his, his security will be destroyed. But the one who walks in integrity will be blessed. 
even if in the short term it seems like it increases the suffering, those who walk the path of integrity will be blessed because the house built on the rock will stand. All right, let me close this word of prayer. And uh, we're going to move into a time of reflection and sharing communion. Father, we thank you that even though none of us comes with the wholeness and the strength of integrity, you invite us into yours. You have never pretended to be something you're not. You have never acted in a way that was not true to your character. And as a result, you have acted in love to extend grace. And even though you are a God of justice, you worked out that justice in such a way that we might find forgiveness. When Jesus took our place as our substitute on the cross, and he bore for us a weight we could never bear for ourselves to give us a blessing we could never earn. Lord, will that break our insane need to compete with you, to try to get what only you can give in ways you don't give it, the insane need to think that somehow we're smarter than you or better than you. Lord, I want to be specific. I want to pray for those that have been wounded this morning, that are really, really struggling with lack of forgiveness, that are really, really struggling with bitterness, and, and there's a temptation to just let that, that fester in their hearts. Spirit, will you come alongside them, and will you gently comfort them and call them to love? Lord, you know pain. Will you meet them in that place of pain? You know suffering. Will you meet them in that place of suffering? And in that place... Invite them to the cleansing work of grace that they might learn to release their need to be judged, to trust you to be judged, that they might receive an even greater measure of grace. And Lord, I want to pray for those who have something hidden this morning, who know they need to confess, who know that in order to move forward in grace, they need to move forward in truth, and they are terrified. Spirit, will you strengthen their spine? to trust that, that the path of integrity is, in fact, the path of strength, that it is in moving into truth that they unleash the power of grace. Will you give them that step of faith that they might move into these difficult conversations, revealing things they don't want to reveal, talking about things they don't want to talk about, but doing it in hope, knowing that their true security doesn't come from keeping things hidden or being perfect. True security comes from the flowing of your grace. Spirit, you're the only one that can do this, but I pray that you might shape us into a people that are walking in the genuine integrity of the gospel. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.